Welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an upload. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Enjoy this week's show and don't forget to share it with all your friends. Hey, I'm Russell Leeds. What's up? I'm Ricky Mandel. And this is the Property Investors Podcast. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about how to analyze a rental property. Now, this is one of the most important skills you need to have as a property investor because it dictates whether or not the property that you're looking to buy or that you are buying is indeed a good investment. Now, there are typically two ways that people judge a deal and and assess a deal. The first of which is called yield. You might see this word banded around quite a bit. And the other is called return on investment. So do you want to talk to us a little bit, Ricky, about what is the difference between... Well, first of all, which do you use? Do you use yield or do you use I return on investment? I use return on investment. Okay. So return on investment simply means the money that you... What return are you getting from the money you put into the deal? So let's say you buy a deal or you buy a house and you're going to do a deal and you put £100,000 of that your money into that deal. The return on investment is, is looking at, okay, well, what return are you getting from that £100,000 that you put in? Not the value of the house, not what you're buying it for, just what you've put in and what you're going to be getting out. Yeah, whereas the yield is looking at the value of, so the, value of the property. So if you bought the property for £100,000, you'd be looking at £100,000 and you'd be looking at the total rental income. So if the total rental income was, say, I don't know, make it nice and simple, uh, £10,000 a year, you'd go, okay, that's a 10% yield because I'm getting £10,000 a year in rent and I'm getting... And it's a £100,000 investment, 10% yield. The problem with yield from a property investor's point of view is there's a lot of costs involved to being a property investor. So whereas the yield would work perfectly in the stock market, where there are, there are no costs and it's the total money you've put in and the percentage, it works brilliantly. Uh, and and even, even to commercial property to an extent, to a residential property, it just doesn't work because you could be making £10,000 a year in rental income, but you could have costs of £20,000. Yeah. You could, be, you could be making a £10,000 a, a year loss with a 10% yield. Yeah, we, we like to know what, we're, what are we getting for our money, yeah. not what we're getting for the value of the product. And, no, no, no. What are we putting in and what are we getting out? And return on investment we use for everything anyway, not just buying houses, but every business decision we make, any, anything. We're always looking at what are we putting in so then what are we going to be getting as a return on that investment, whether that be financial and time as well? Yeah. We do, we do return investments with our time. We do. If we're going to be, you know, if I'm going to come to, to spend a day with Russell over here, what am I going to get? Well, actually, to be fair, we just did, we did, we did have a nice lunch, so thanks we, for taking me out for lunch. That is all right. I did treat you. He said, is this the new tradition? You treat me for lunch every time. So. <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll come and meet you. If that becomes a tradition. I think that's fair enough, because it is about an hour away from your house. Yeah, so yeah. A lot, lot of extra effort. A lot, lot of extra effort on your... I mean, an hour for a bit of lunch. I mean, it could be like every time I come, you know, we'll get a new Ferrari or something. I mean, that would be a better return. But, you know, we'll go with the, uh, we'll go with the lunch. It, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, so it's really important with property investing, in my opinion, that you look at return on investment. I wouldn't even worry about yields. I don't think yield is relevant 
in my opinion, to residential property investment. So you want to look at the return on investments. What does that actually mean? Well, first of all, it means all the money in. So how much money are you going to need to fund the deal? Now, remember, you can use mortgages, you can use uh, to, to leverage, you can use leverage of property investing. So how much money, it's not the total amount of money in, it's how much money are you putting in? And then the money out is how much profit are you actually making? It's not, the, it's not the total rental income, it's how much profit. So what due diligence, with that being said, when you're buying an investment property, what due diligence do you do, you do in order to calculate the ROI before you invest? Okay, so well, first of all, you need to know what money you're gonna be putting in. So what are you actually gonna be putting in? And what you don't wanna be mistaken by is like you said, thinking, well, if I'm buying it for 100,000, if I mortgage 75, thousand of that, then that's going to be the money. No, no, just your money. So the first thing, I mean, is, you know, the obvious one, if you like, into the money in is going to be the deposit. Mm -hmm. So if you're leveraging off a mortgage, how much deposit are you going to have to put down for that property? Um, generally speaking, for a buy to let, you're looking around about 25%. Yeah. Um, at the time of recording this little disclaimer there, just in case it goes up or down. <laughs> so so the, the property, is, let's say the property is a million pounds, typically you'll need 25% of that, which is £250,000. Yep. Do not want to calculate it, all you need to do is put the, the value of the property in times 0.25, and that will give you approximately so what you You yep. calculate percentages differently to the way I do it on a calculator. What do you do on a calculator? I just do, you know, 100,000 times 75, and then click the percentage button. Even when you want to know 25%. Whatever, you just put 75. No, if I wanted to make 25, obviously I'll put 25. <laughs> but I don't go to the extra return on investment. If I, I, that will take me an extra five seconds to put the zero point. I don't put zero point, I just put point. Well, that will take an extra couple of seconds what? to put the point. You have to put the percentage at the end? Yeah, but the percentage it's is the same number of digits. Hmm, actually, I've got a point. Just easy, I've got it? a point, you've got a percentage sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, do, do you know what it is though? Not all calculators have got the percentage sign. Have they not? No, well, no, but see, I mean, on your phone, I mean, does anyone use the traditional? Well, I, I did it. I learned percentages at school. And back when I was at school, they didn't all have the percentage. I'm sure they do probably now. But I think it's important to know the actual maths of how it you work important. it out. It is important. It is important. So it's 0.25 or 25%. Um, so that's how you work it out. Now, I would recommend, though, if you are actively looking to invest yourself, 25% is fine for just a rough average. But it's worth speaking to an independent mortgage broker, explaining your situation because there are there are situations where they'll lend different amounts. Yeah. It might be that you, you you know you need to put a bit more in if you're high risk, for example, or if you're not, you know that there are situations yeah. where you they'll wait. test it as well. You know, so they look at what money what what money is going to be coming in from the rent as a, uh, compared to the interest payments that you're going to have to be paying if you borrowed X amount, would that rental income minus some extra fees, you know, like void periods and maintenance, will that cover the interest payments? Because no. if it won't, then you won't get a 75% loan to value. And they'll also be looking at what happens if the interest rate goes up. Yep, um, yep. And, and they'll be taking... So, but to be fair, they're just doing a similar due diligence to what you're going to yeah, do. Yeah, of course. So as long, as long as you only approach them with good deals, as long as you do this first, you should be okay. If it's not a good deal, then you might find that you, you, know, you need to put extra money in uh, in order to make it a good deal for them. So first thing is, you need to know how much of a deposit you're going to put down, find that out, speak to a broker, or if, it's just, if you're just casually looking at this stage, just, I would just work for a buy-to-let on 25%. If it's your personal home, I mean, that could be a, a lot less, more like 10%. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you, should, you wouldn't be looking at the return on investment, would you? Because you'll be living in it. 
No, but I'm just making it. I'm just making the point for people that are watching that if they're looking to buy a personal home, oh, the deposit will be different. The deposit yeah, will be lower. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, so that's your first payment. What next? Next is um, stamp duty. So you know, generally speaking, when you're buying a house that's mortgageable and it's a buy to let or a HMO, whatever it may be, um, as long as it's mortgageable, then you will generally speaking be paying stamp duty. Um, so it's literally it's a tax. Yep. that you have to pay when you buy the house. Now, what's interesting about stamp duty is it's not a fixed set amount. It's, it's a bit of a sliding scale, actually. Yeah. So depending on what uh, the value of the property that you're buying is, that will depend on how much stamp duty you pay. So what you can't do is you can't say, right, stamp duty is going to be... 3%. Right. Because yeah. well, if you're buying a £10 million mansion, for whatever reason you're going to rent that out, it's, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a lot more. Yeah. And and, and the, the, you got a, an amount that's free to begin with. If you yeah. if you shoot, if you're a first time buyer, you get ta you get tax breaks on it. If it's a, if it's an investment property or you have got multiple properties, you, you're likely going to pay going to pay more, right? Yeah. Um, so the best way to work that out is literally just go onto the government website. Just search on Google Stamp Duty Calculator Gov. Go onto the government website. They've got a calculator. You just have to answer a few questions: how much you're paying for the property, your situation. Are you, a, you know, are you, are you a UK resident? Are you? Is it your first property? Is it an investment property? Do you own more properties? That sort of thing. Answer a few questions about the uh, about the property. Click submit, and it will tell you. It will tell you how much stamp duty you've got to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are ways to get around stamp duty and cut stamp duty down. So, yeah. for example, if your strategy is buy, refurbish, refinance, and the property is unmortgageable, uh, if it's like an absolute wreck and can't be lived in, you might be able to qualify for not paying any stamp duty. Yeah. In the same way, if you're buying multiple properties at once, you qualify for something called multiple dwelling relief. Uh, so this is useful if you buy, let's say you're buying a uh, property that was split into four apartments. Um, you qualify for multiple dwelling relief because you're buying four apartments at once, and that significantly reduces the amount of stamp duty that you're paying as well. So there are there are certain ways around paying full stamp duty. Another is if you buy a company. Yeah, because you inherit the properties. Well, it, yeah. Um, go on, explain. Well, if you buy, if, if if a company owns a portfolio, and you buy the company, you're not actually buying the houses. No. Oh, sorry. You mean inherit the company? I thought you meant like. If your dad died and have properties <laughs> no. in a company. Oh, well, I was saying if you buy the if you buy a company, if a company's selling before you buy the company, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're buying the company, not the houses, but you will inherit the I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you because you're buying the company, you don't pay any stamp duty. So yeah. there are there are there are ways around that. So you know, if you can be creative, you can save money. Stamp duty's gone up a lot as well, hasn't it? Yeah. It's so expensive. Yeah. So so expensive. Do you know they brought stamp duty in during the war as yeah, an I heard this. as an additional tax to kind of help us through tough times and, and it's still here maybe it's on the to-do list what to take it off maybe i don't think so might just be sat on the desk waiting for someone to pick it up oh right you know it's a cra it's a crazy tax as well because like what are you actually paying it for what for them just to go yep yeah, you can buy that property here's my stamp of approval <laughs> even the, the approval yeah, for it to actually come to fruition it takes weeks for you for you to see the approval on the deeds yeah yeah it's like, <laughs> so it's like pay now but you have to wait a few weeks or months to actually see it in writing it's, so it's weeks of work <laughs> apparently yeah i don't know it's a cra it's, it's 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 a crazy I've one i've just got this image of someone sat there on a desk and it's like 
Right, next one, and yeah. That's two hundred grand. Hundred grand. Oh, here's a big one. A ten million pound one. <laughs> we'll take half a million for that. <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy. Is oh, that, that that would be a good job if you could if you could be a, if you could set up a company if it was privatised. You could be a stamp duty company. <laughs> yeah. What I've got to do is stamp the properties. <laughs> what are the expense of the business? Well, you've got the ink of the stamp and the stamp. That's it. <laughs> Oh, brilliant, brilliant. But mind you, the government, I mean, they've got the best business model ever because basically they're partners with every single company <laughs> and they get paid first. They get the creme, they get, you turn, they get the, the profit straight away before any, any other profit. They get money on every time you spend money, they get it. Every time you die and pass your money to someone else, they get it. Every time you do anything, the government take, take your money. It's like, how do they, how do they, how do they spend so much money and, 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 and still be in masses of debt? Who knows? But we're not economists. We're property investors. So we're moving on from that. So, um, and then the final thing, well, there's a couple more things actually I can think of that you need to take into consideration. Next is a refurb. Yeah. So if you need to refurb the property, and that might be that if your plan is to, to add value to the property by refurbing it, that might be part of your consideration. But even if it's just, just a normal rental, let's say you, you want to turn it into a HMO, for example, Chances are you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to furnish it. You're gonna to have to add fire doors. Yeah. You're gonna maybe have to do some work in the kitchen or repaint it. Things things like this. Uh, and it comes down to what you want as well. You know, everyone's in different situations and want different things. Um, you know, we have people that come to our advanced training programs that are just wanting to buy turnkey investments, and what that means is. They're looking to come to learn the process. They've got some money. They just want to put it into a house that's ready to go. Fully, it's, it's no work needed. All they need to, it's it, it got tenants in it. It's, it's turning over money. It's bringing in rental income. And it's called a turnkey investment. And all they want to do is learn the process, buy a house and get the key, turn it, open the door and it's done. That's what a turnkey investment is. It's ready to go. But then we have some people that come to um, our training programs that want to find problem properties, mm. you know, properties that they can fix the problems with. So um, there's no kind of right or wrong. It depends on really what your goal is, how fast you want to move, what kind of investment you're looking to make. But refurb is definitely something that needs to be considered because sometimes when you view the property, the, the refurb doesn't, the, the investment you think for a refurb might not even be for a physical thing. It may be that a lease needs extended. Mm. Maybe, the lease, maybe it's a leasehold property and the lease only has four, 50, years. 50 years left and it needs to be extended. So that would be classed as a refurb or a problem that needs to be fixed. So you are, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you, need, you might need to factor in a refurb cost. Sometimes it's not always visible to the either the problem. It's true. Uh, next is uh, legals. Yeah. So when you're when you're purchasing a property, you're going to need you can pay for surveys. You're going to need to pay for a solicitor to take forever. Yeah. Um, well, they have a couple of speeds. First one is slow. Yeah. And the second one is stop. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> I, I do find it amazing how slow the process of buying a house is, considering we live in an instant world. Everything's fast. Nowadays, Amazon Prime. If Amazon Prime did mortgages, <laughs> we'd never have any. If Amazon, if Amazon Prime did buying houses, everything's so slow. Oh yeah, they, no, but if they did it, it would, it would probably be really quick, wouldn't it? Oh, it would. It would be next day approval. I can't understand why there's two lots of solicitors. There's not, there's not much. Obviously, you've got searches, right? But there's not much to do. Well, it's because. The solicitors are going back and forth, aren't they? So it's like, we've sent this over and we need this information from them. 
But then it's like, so we're waiting for the reply. Then a few days later, the other sisters will reply. And then they'll be like, oh, they've missed this bit of information. So they need, we need to go back to them and get this. And it's, it's almost like it's a back and forth for three, do, four Do you know months. what I think should happen? I think that when you buy a house, they should set a date, like a few, whenever you, you guys decide, you complete, you exchange date, for example. And go, right, we're going to exchange, we're going to exchange but we're going to complete on the same day. So we're going to all get together. I mean, they do it with auctions. Auctions is much faster. Why yeah. can't it be faster? Why can't they just say, your sister, my sister, we're going to jump on a Zoom call. We've got all the technology nowadays. We're going to jump on a Zoom call. We're going to thrash it out until we've both got everything we need. And they're just going to sign there and then. Yeah. Why does it take so long? You know you can pay solicitors to be quicker. You can do that. Yeah, but they can't do it in a day, can they? No, they can't do it in a day. Why but... not? <laughs> Why can't they do it in a day? Maybe it's a new business model. Maybe we just sell a business, call it like Solicitor's Prime. Do you know the problem is? You'd, ha- you'd, have to, you'd have to have two firms that both did it. Because the wife, let's say we had a Solicitor's Prime, Amazon Prime Solicitor's. Yeah. And we're like, well, let me be really quick. But the other Solicitor's The other Solicitor's would be slow. It would, it would kill it. You need to both be on the same page. Maybe we need to set up two Ricky Mandel Solicitor's, Russell Leeds Solicitor's, and we say, look, we only work with each other and we do it in the same day. That, that, now that is a business up there. It is, isn't it? Same day property completions. Just like Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, but for buying houses. And it'll be like, and it, how much will we charge? Plenty of days work, innit? Don't need too much, don't mean to be greedy. How much are legals typically? A couple of grand to buy, 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 buy to let property? Are you paying a couple of grand for your legal fees? Yeah, about that, why? <laughs> That's pretty high, man. Including your searches and everything. What are you paying? About 1400 <laughs> Bit of healthy competition here. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, that's, so basically your money in. In summary, you've got your deposit. You need to know how much deposit you can have to put in. That's your big one. You've got your stamp duty, any refurb or lease extension or anything, and your legal fees as well. That is your money in. So now, once you've got your money in, then you need to know, okay, well, what's my money out going to be? Now, the big money out is your cash flow, which is going to come from your rental income. So it's important that you know how much rental income is going to be. You don't want to overestimate that. You don't want to think, oh, well, the rental income is going to be two grand. And then you get a tenant and the agent says, oh, it's 1,200. Yeah. You've and that's it the wrong. very first thing you need to know as well, what you're going to be getting out from it. Because you can't really work out the rest of the money out without knowing that amount of what you're going to be getting. No, because everything else comes off that. Yeah. Everything else is, is an ongoing expense. Yeah. So your rental income, you, so if, when I buy a property, the first thing that I do is I go and speak to other agents and I say, look, I'm, in, I'm looking at buying X property. If I do, I want to put it onto rent. I just wondered, number one, find out a bit more about you and how much do you think we'd get for it? And I ask three agents that. Do you know what else as well? Yeah. Which is a good idea. Sometimes... I have a friend that sometimes <laughs> rings the agents. You've got a friend that does this, not you. <laughs> I have a friend that sometimes rings the agents. Is this the same friend that had the, um, the problem with the... <laughs> no, it's a different one. Different friend, um, yeah. <laughs> They'll ring the agencies and well. not, not pretend to be the landlord that wants to rent the house, but they'll pretend to be the tenant. Because mm. think about it. If they ring the, land, uh, the agent as a, as a prospective tenant and they're like, look, I want to go into this area. 
this is my budget, what do you think? Is it, is it something we can work with? What do you think that I'd be able to, to get for this amount? They I'm, mo- might I'm moving into different... the area, I'm after a three bed house in this area, yeah. how much And I, I don't at? want to spend a lot, you know, I'm working on a budget here. They'll probably give you a different rental price to what you would get mm. if you were an, uh, a landlord speaking to them. Because as a landlord, they're going to tell you, obviously, they're going to be optimistic, aren't they? They're going to give you the highest amount. But as a tenant, they're going to give you the lowest amount that you could pay because they want you to use them to pay the rent. So you could do sort of both and yeah. maybe go somewhere and in the middle. and then go in the middle. It's not bad, not bad, not bad little top tip. This friend of yours, yeah. does his name begin with Ra? <laughs> no. 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 Okay, okay. It begins with uh, De. De. Do you remember earlier? No. Um, the other, the other, when was it? A few weeks ago now. No, last week. I think it was last week we were talking about one of my best friends called De. Oh, debt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, if you don't get that one, watch last week's episode and you'll, you'll, you'll catch that. Of course, that's if you're looking at doing a buy-to-let. There are obviously other ways that you can rent out your property, and both of us in particular, you know, we're, we're not really, we don't, buy-to-let's not really our strategy, so we're looking more at service accommodation, which is a fantastic way of getting a really high cash flow. It's a bit more tricky to calculate the, the service accommodation because you need to be looking at things like approximate um Occupancy rate, you know, if you look at buy-to-lets, you know, it's, you know. It's, yeah, it can, it can be difficult because a buy-to-let, you've got a tenant that's signing an agreement for a year or maybe a couple of years or whatever it may be. And you know, generally speaking, that you're going to get paid that rent every month for with service accommodation. I mean, we, we, if we're looking at buy-to-lets, I'll typically knock off 10% for voids. Yeah. For, you know, just to be safe. Yeah. And 12% for management, 10 to 12%. Yeah. Um... Whereas with a service accommodation, I actually manage my service accommodation properties myself. Well, there's different ways. Do you know what's cool about service accommodation is you can manage service accommodation for a really effective um, amount. And that's by putting systems in place and then connecting the systems together. So, for example, one of the things that we do is we'll have a cleaning team in place. And we'll only, we'll only pay the cleaning team whenever the property needs to be cleaned. Mm. So it's not even an overhead of the business. <clears throat> it's only when someone stays, then it will get cleaned. So we'll connect, we'll have our cleaners that will sort that out. Then we also have a channel manager. Yeah. And we'll connect the cleaners with the channel manager who manages the diary. So then the cleaners know when to go in and clean, which makes it a bit more passive for us. But the channel manager's not, we're not talking hundreds of pounds a month here for channel managing one property. You're talking you know, depending on the company, it's less than £50 a property that we're paying to our channel manager. Channel manager. Mine's less than 25 Ours is £20. £20. Oh, at least less than 50 Yeah, because I just didn't want to say the exact amount, but now right. you've said it. All right. <laughs> yeah, my, I think mine's about 24 25 Yeah, we pay £20 a month for what? That's for one property, though. Yeah, yeah. So the more properties you take on, you know, obviously every channel manager is different, but I guess the point is, with service accommodation, it's not like you're going to be getting a rental income every month, there's a, it can be seen as a little bit more risk, which I guess it is because you're depending on, an, on a nightly occupancy, but the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Yeah, and then, you, and then you want to be checking, so number one, occupancy rates, you can do that, you can have a look at hotels in the nearby area, yeah. you can have a look, um, there's websites like AirDNA, which give you approximates if you, you yeah. can pay to go and have a look, or you can... <laughs> You made me think of a story. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off, but you've got to catch this story. You're going to love it. Go on. So I was with Samuel yeah. a few weeks ago, and we were, on, we were doing tours. So every month we go on, we go on tour and you know, we, we do the events and the one-pound programs. Yeah. So we were in Manchester, and we got there a little bit early the night before. So we thought, 
we, we've got a few students that have service accommodations in Manchester, so we thought it'd be a good idea just to have a look around and see what the demand is, because our, our students ones in Manchester, their occupancy is ridiculous. So we thought we'd do a bit of due diligence, and the way that we did our due diligence on Manchester, part of the due diligence to see what the occupancy rates were like, was um, we walked into hotels and we said to them, look, you know, we've got our team here, we're running an event over the next few days, have you got any rooms available? And like 90% of the hotels that we went into just laughed in our face. They're like, five rooms tonight? Don't be ridiculous. Now that says to us mm. that Manchester is a very good area for service accommodation in the city centre because all of the hotels are fully booked tonight. Yeah. So that's another thing you can do as part of your due diligence. You know, go to hotels, speak to hotels, and even if you're staying at one, just say to the cleaners and stuff, hey, how many rooms are there? Are you busy at the moment? Are you cleaning every single room? Are there people all the time? And that's another way to do the due diligence is actually walking out there and speaking to the people that are actually doing it. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And then looking at the prices, how much they're charging. I mean, it's, it depends on what you're... If you're renting out like a, a two-bed apartment, it's, it's a different kettle of fish to a hotel room because you'll be attracting maybe a family or maybe like a group of, you know, group of friends or yeah. something that's slightly different. But it's looking at like for likes, isn't it? And trying to yeah. find comparables, how much they're renting for, how, how much availability is there, etc., etc. So yeah, 100%. And then for HMOs, HMOs is very similar to buy to lets. It's speaking to, it's looking at spare room, looking at what the room rates are kind of going for, looking at what people are wanting on spare room, those sort of sites. But also speaking to HMO managers in the same way you speak to agents. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you definitely need to do as much due diligence as you can to look at how much you can actually charge for the rental. Then you need to start looking at the costs that are coming off it. So you're going to have your mortgage payments. Again, if you speak to a broker, it will give you a very good idea. Right now, interest rates are what, about 5%? Something like that yeah. as we speak. Um, so you, could, you can calculate it yourself or look at mortgage comparison sites to get a rough idea of what your... Um, you, I think Rightmove's got a calculator actually as well. Yeah, it has. Which you, which you can yeah. put in. So you want to work out roughly how much your mortgage repayment is going to be. You need to look at voids or occupancy rates if you're looking at service accommodation, HMOs, buy-to-lets, because you're not, you're not going to have 100% occupancy, even with a buy-to-let. So you'll be taking that off. Property maintenance. Yep. Different to refurb. Refurb is your initial upfront cost. Your maintenance is just your ongoing costs. So, I mean, we typically factor in about 10% of our uh, rental income. Yeah. We take off just to be safe. I actually find it's less than that, but I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather over, over egg the figures now. Yeah. As well, sometimes something might happen in the future where you've got maintenance, which is quite costly. So like if a boiler breaks, you've got to replace the boiler, that's going to cost more, obviously, than if light bulbs and handles and small things that need maintaining. So if you factor in 10% a month for maintenance over the course of a year, a couple of years, three years, it will probably average out at 10%. The other thing that I do as well is I don't just, I actually pay 10% of the rental income into a separate maintenance pot for that property. Yeah. So that when stuff does come up, You've got your pot. I've got the pot there. It's it's saved. It's prepped. It's for accounted it. for. Is there? That's for maintenance. Can't be touched, kind of thing. Yeah. Any other costs that you can think of that you need to take into consideration? You have you said management? Uh, no, we talked to about it earlier, but we haven't included that. Yeah, now, so. if you get an HMO, HMO management company, um, or or a normal letting agent, or a normal letting agency. Um, for single lets, you're looking around ten to twelve percent at the moment for let uh, for a single let. For HMO, slightly more. You're looking at twelve to fourteen percent. Um, but 
they're managing more tenants than if they were a single let. Yeah. You know, and they bring different value to oh, the table. De- it's definitely more hassle managing a HMO oh, than yeah. it is managing a buy to let. Yeah. It, it's not even comparable. No. So I I'm, just, you know, was trying to, yeah, you just say it as it is kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not. I mean, I think HMOs are brilliant. And obviously, if you've got a good manager in place, it's, it's passive for you. It's just more hard. Them. It's harder for them. I've managed hundreds of HMO rooms at once. I've had I've managed loads of HMO HMO rooms, lots of HMO properties, and they are the, the tenants argue. I suppose any, any situation, if you watch like a Big Brother or you watch Love Island, where you're putting people together, yeah, what do they tend to do? Argue, argue, and you're doing that with the house, putting people together yeah, about the smallest things as well. Oh, so and so left dishes in the sink. <laughs> so so and so left skid marks on the toilet. <laughs> I'm not even joking. These are real complaints. <laughs> real complaints. I'm like, send me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did as well. <laughs> so you need to be looking at all, all, all of these. Once you've, once you've got it, the key figure is how much money are you going to earn in the year? So you work out your total, your total rental income for that year. So let's, let's say it's a grand a month you're going to make in rent. Yeah, so it's a grand times 12, that's 12,000 pounds. You then knock off all your costs, and then whatever's left is your profit. And then? And then you have to, and then you can use those, that's all you need, two figures. Yeah, to work out your ROI. Times 100, you've got your return on investment. It took me a while to get my head around this actually, because I'm not great at maths, as you can probably tell. I'm not good with formulas or anything like that. Took me a while to get around it, but you actually introduced me to a useful software that I use to, to find deals and stuff, and it actually has a deal analyzer on that software. It's got a return on investment sheet, and it's really easy. Just you fill out all of the boxes of what we've just spoken about: your, your purchase price, deposit, stamp duty, legals. You fill it all out, and then bang, within seconds, it gives you a, a return on investment. And you introduced me to that. So the deal, deal source app. Yeah, yeah it's very good. I'll, yeah. I'll put a link in the in the description if you want to check it out. But yeah, it's very very good. Yeah. You can just paste the right move link in. And it will average all the figures. You can go in and tweak them if you, you know, if you know the, the exact figures. But it works it all out for you. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. It's a useful piece of, piece of software. Very, very useful. Or you could just work it out on a spreadsheet. Yeah, you can you do. Know? And if you, you could look at it. You go, right, I'm putting 50 grand into this property. I'm going to make, I don't know, 10 grand profit a year. So you can work out, well, what, what ROI is that? Well, that would be 20%. Yeah. So it's 20% ROI. What ROI would you recommend people aiming for? For which, it depends on the type of deal and strategy, I guess, because buy to lets. 10%? Um, I think 10% is, yeah, well, for me personally, I mean, buy to lets, I'd be looking at between 12, between, anywhere between 12 and 20%, I think right now, is would be a good return on investment for a buy to let. Because bear in mind, it's the return on investment, but with property, you get paid twice. Yeah. So you're also going to be gaining from the capital appreciation as well. So if you're making 10%, for example, on the, yeah, on the, on yeah, the cash you've flow. Got the appreciation. So you've got the appreciation on top of that as well. The reason I say 12 to 20% is because yeah. I, I guess I'm still hanging on a little bit. Because five years ago, 20, we, you could find 20% returns, no problem. I mean, you still can if you do HMO service accommodation. Yeah. Easy. I, so I would for say a buy to let. Minimum 20% is what you should be aiming for if you're doing service accommodation or HMOs. Oh, Interest well, rates have gone yeah. up. We talked about this a bit last week. But interest rates have gone up. It does make buy to let investing a bit harder. Yeah. But... That's why I'm still hanging on a bit. I'm like, oh, 20% for them buy to lets. But, you know, I'll definitely 20% for service combination HMOs. And you, like this same principle of return on investment, 
with rent, uh, service accommodation and HMOs, if you're doing rent-to-rent -rent service accommodation and HMOs, and you factor in the money for that, which is not a lot, it's just your deposit, your rent upfront, furnishings, the returns will be ridiculous. But that, I guess, is a whole other story. Yeah, because then you don't need the cap, you don't need the deposit. You don't need the deposit. You don't need the stamp due to. Maybe we should maybe we should do an episode on controlling properties and the power of control. That'd be good. Yeah. Do you like the power of control? Are you into control? I've been Ricky Mandel. I'm Russell Lutz. See you next time.